I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a beautiful morning. I think What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, the funniest man in show business, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? <laughs> I walk so others can run, Mike. It's just what I do. Uh, thank you. I, um, I am very funny. Well, I, you got off, so you had your birthday yesterday. We talked about it on the podcast, and you went on the stage last night and started. You said you wanted to do 33 stand-ups at least in your 33rd year on Earth. You got number one in last night, so how did it go? Thank you for asking. Uh, it went great. Shout out to the McCurdy's and everyone in that uh, graduating class that, that stand-up. I, I wanted to be undisputedly the number one set last night. I think I was definitely in the top two. Uh, there's something about getting performance-based compliments, Mike. I know we talk about this with football a lot, like you in the tunnel after the game talking to players, like, oh, that one sack, that one play, that one block. I don't know what you offensive linemen talk about with, with each other. But um, getting getting complimented on jokes that you planned on people laughing at, there's, there's no high like it. Well, it's interesting to me because you bring up performance-based praise. In football, it's cut and dry. I always said the hardest part about transitioning to this job is 
to your point about the offensive line, in football, I knew what we were supposed to do. We had technique that we were taught. We had a goal on each play, and we were graded plus four technique, plus for outcome, or minus for, you know, plus minus for technique and outcome. And so you knew exactly what you were supposed to do on every play, and very little times was there gray area in that. So we went back, we watched the film right away, and I got feedback of, hey, you did this wrong and it worked out, or hey, you did this right and we want to see more of that. When I got right. into media, it was so hard because A, people are afraid to give you feedback 90% of the time, but also it's a lot more subjective. There are certain things that you can do the right way, coming in and out right. of break, what questions you ask a guest, trying not to have crutch words, but then the rest of it is just sort of how you view sports and explain it. And I feel like stand-up's a lot more like that where there's less of a true metric. It's more like when you have figure skating in the Olympics. Like, yeah, there's things that you're supposed to hit technically, but you're still judged subjectively by human beings. Yes, I think that there's something to what you're talking about, especially when it comes to your only objective in stand-up is getting as many laughs as you can in the time allotted. And it's very very Bill Belichickian the way you well, go about executing your plan for what you plan on doing for a stand-up well and i guess the closer comp to football would also be you've got a live audience's feedback yes you've got people where you're going to get that immediate gratification one way or the other and know how it's working versus again doing a show from a cold studio whole different ball game and the similarities as well is when it comes to football you don't see the crowd right you you feel them right same thing with stand-up Mike, the lights are so bright up there. I'm not seeing a damn person. It was, it was beautiful and kind of crazy because at one point in time, I was going through the set. I was in the first minute, and I was like, and I'll share this on social media. Mike was joking about how hard my social media is to find. It's just my first and middle name. But uh, I can't see anyone out there, and I'm just literally it's like, okay, I got a first couple laughs. I don't know who's laughing at what. I can't see anyone visually, but I feel the room listening. I feel the room responding. I feel the room giggling all the when they're supposed to. And I just had to do my set. Like it was very, very nice to just like, oh, just run through the material and you'll get all the laughs you want afterwards. And everyone that came up to me afterwards was very nice and kind. It was a very old white crowd, about 200 plus people. Average age was like, you know, 73. And I got them to laugh at some race stuff. So, you know, it felt like, a you know, it was a win. You love to see that beautiful bit of harmony. If you can make a bunch of old people laugh, you have up to degree of difficulty. Uh, we got a great show for you guys today here. We're very excited. Um... Charles McDonald, at 4Verts on Twitter, friend of the show that we got to put a face to a body and a Twitter handle and really hang out with during Super Bowl week, going to join us here. He covers the NFL over at Yahoo Sports, going to talk about some of the experiences from Super Bowl week, his incredible story about Andy Reid mac and cheese and how it actually helped him land a job, and a bunch of the NFL coaching news and notes since we have now filled all of the five head coaching vacancies that were out there this offseason. Charles was somebody who was it was very fun to be around. His dad or your dad loved him because he had a, a, a hat with a, with a dog on it, and that's pretty much all your dad needs to start a conversation. It was very impressive to see. Yes, exactly. Uh, nothing bridges the gap for my father quite like the presence of dogs or if you want to talk about gambling. Um, all those things play there. So got a ton of good stuff that we're going to get to with Charles. Uh, we've also got 
interesting news uh, from the association and our national nightmare over as Notre Dame fans. And Brandon, we might as well start with the association. We have pulled ourselves out of the football season fog just in time to get to All-Star Weekend. We have got one more day of games coming up in the NBA. But with that, the Milwaukee Bucks streaking currently. They got one game against the Bulls tonight before everyone heads to Salt Lake City, which, by the way, coming off of Super Bowl week, Salt Lake is beautiful. I don't know if it's built to party the way NBA All-Star Weekend is supposed to party. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this is Dwayne Wade's doing. Obviously, he's been a new partner with, with Utah. But I, I hear just horror stories about Utah. And maybe it is uh, racially uh, charged. But I, I can't see it as a place where a bunch of NBA stars want to celebrate their season. No, it's a great place if you want to visit the Crumble Cookie headquarters and gorge yourself on cookies or do a bunch of skiing or know that you're not far away from Sundance, which is beautiful. True. But to do the kind of things, the first time I went to NBA All-Star Weekend was in New Orleans. Mm. Great time. Mm. Polar opposite vibe-wise mm. from what you're going to get in Salt Lake. So uh, I saw they're involving Carl Malone in the festivities there, which is always a bad decision. Do uh, they keep things open late enough in Salt Lake to host an event like this? I, I, I don't know. Like the last time I went to the last time I went to Utah, I. I should say two times ago, the first time I went to Utah, I was in Provo for a wedding and I was trying to make sure that I was going to be able to find caffeine and alcohol. Now, I understand some of that stuff is a little overblown about it as far as the, you know, lack of availability of those right. things. But again, you're a lot further from the sin that we normally associate with these sort of weekends. So that's going to be sort of wild. But as we get up to that mention, the Bucks are going to play the Bulls. Chance to win 12 straight. Been really impressive. Surprise, surprise, when you get Chris Middleton back, right. who is the most versatile offensive weapon that you have on that team as far as the ability to go get obvious buckets in obvious situations, good things happen. He came back on the court, and they've ripped off 11 straight. And now we're within a game with the Celtics up top. Like, they're going to play one more time in March, and that's likely going to, if they keep on this trajectory, determine who has the tiebreaker when it comes to home court advantage in the playoffs. So it was a big win for them, even if it was against the Celtics JV team out there. No Jason Tatum, no Jalen Brown, like a lot of the studs missing from that one. And so... I came away a little bit more impressed with Boston, who went out and then proceeded to absolutely throttle their opponent last night. I don't have the score in front of me right now, but it was a thorough ass whooping with Jason Tatum back in the lineup. Like, it's great for the Bucks and them being healthy and having their core back together. Drew Holiday went off from distance, had a career high in a, a bunch of different categories. Giannis was typical Giannis at this point. We've sort of become numb to that and sort of come to expect that. But yeah, Drew Holiday matched a career high with 40 points in that game. Giannis went for 36 and 13. Middleton is still kind of on a restricted uh, load here. He's still coming off the bench at this point, but chipped in 16 and 11. And you saw down the stretch of that game and some pivotal possessions, the... The Celtics were winning for the vast majority of that game that went to overtime. And in pivotal stretches, it was exactly what I think he's always done best for that team is, hey, we need someone who can go and use every tool trying to get us a bucket and make his own shot. He's kind of the tough shot maker of that group, even if Drew Holiday stepped up and did a lot of the same from distance in a way that, as we talked about, when you hear career high, you go, okay, that's abnormal and sizing for competition. I shouldn't expect that every night. 
Yeah. Now I've, I've also feel like it's interesting that Chris Middleton is back in defense is supposed to be the main reason why they've been on this run right now. And I think Giannis being who Giannis is, and we just coming off of the dynasty that I think it's fair to say for the Chiefs and the, and the dynasty they're working on, what we saw Giannis do when he had Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton in the lineup in the finals two years ago makes perfect sense why he should be the favorite. The same reason why Anthony Davis is the reason why uh, the Lakers are relevant or not based on if he's healthy or not. Like when Giannis is able to do his thing, well, he's at, in this stretch he's at, uh, averaging 37.2 points a game. Like it, it's, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to do anything. But what I'm interested in, Mike – one of my favorite players in the NBA because he wears number 99 like I did in college, Jay Crowder, who will be added to the lineup after the All-Star break. Mm. Very interested in what he does to that team because I'm not sure. Is Bobby Portis is, I'm still, is, is still out? Um, I, believe, I believe so, yeah. I'd have to double-check that. But Drake, Jay Crowder's always in the periphery of very good teams. Like he's always right. coming in and playing frustrating defense and making timely threes on very good teams. Most recently, I believe, for the Suns team that made it to the finals a couple years ago against Giannis's Bucks. So sort of full-circle moment there. But, I, I, yeah, all in all... That's a team that can feel very confident, even knowing right now, I think the Celtics are the best, deepest team in basketball. The fact that they're doing what they're doing, I know we've said it before, without their coach that they plan on doing it with at the beginning of the season, says something about that team. It's incredible to think about, Brandon. The way that we discussed that this summer and the impact that coaching had had on them last season for it to be now a team that looks flat out dominant again their backups went up and took the bucks to overtime at full strength it is a remarkable testament to the program building i know we use that c word culture way too often but it's applicable there in the way that you saw them playing there was no lack of confidence there was no stifling of ball movement out there those guys played like it was exactly where they were supposed to be even without the most potent backcourt in the nba out there so you've got that. Uh, you did mention the Lakers, Brandon. I thought it was interesting, too, as a product of what we saw around the trade deadline in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You had a bunch of players starting to make their debuts. You talked about Jay Crowder. We're still waiting for Kevin Durant to make his debut for the Suns. But Mikel Bridges already making it look like Ooh. the Nets won the trade, going Ooh. off and going dumb 45 at Barclays against the Miami Heat. Um, the Vibes King himself, Mikel Bridges, forever endeared to me after that video released of him in Arizona out at an ASU karaoke bar yes. singing um, My Chemical Romance with a bunch of like dumb college kids. Immaculate vibes, but also an incredible player that at least going into the All-Star break can make Brooklyn feel a little bit better. I think they're about fifth in the East right now, and who knows if that'll last. But for right now, you can enjoy a good weekend, Brooklyn fans. Yeah, I think that social media video and also that run that they had uh, in the finals or in the, in the playoffs in general made me really like Mikael Bridges in Phoenix. Like, I, I'm not a huge fan of him being over there with the Brooklyn Nets like obviously Spencer Dinwiddie being back home is very different he uh, in his debut against the Knicks which obviously there was some little fuel to that he scored 28 points almost scored 30 uh but the fact that Mikel Bridges is he felt so close to a championship and it, it was so nice now he just feels so far away from one 
He does, but I, you know what? I like, I kind of like that it's Spencer Dinwiddie's Nets team again. It feels right. It feels like I wish he'd append like the homecoming letter that LeBron did for the und, uh, for uh, the undisputed or uh, no uh, players tribute. Player tribute. Yes. I could I could have done for one of those with him. That would have been a lot of fun. So big happy for him. Handed his jersey right after the game. I don't know if you saw this directly to his mother. Huge week for sports moms. Ooh, huge yes. week for sports moms. Yes, big. So clearly, I need to do something nice for my mom here soon. That's where this is all tracking right now. I know. I I, I get called out for being horny on Maine on this podcast, <laughs> and my first thing I thought about was. When Jalen Brunson scored 40 and he and Azalea Banks had, uh, excuse me, Iggy Azalea, not Azalea Banks, Iggy Azalea had like some words in in exchange on the court and it was just like very, it's like, are you guys together? You guys talking? But anyways. (laughs) We have gone zero days without Brandon being horny on Maine. (laughs) Um... Speaking of horny on Maine, though, Brandon, I'd imagine you're a little horny for what the Lakers were able to do last night. Very. A 120-102 win over the Pelicans. Now, we know Zion's still been banged up, not in the lineup, but yeah. new faces in new places right now. D'Angelo Russell's homecoming, 21 points in this game, including 3 of 5 from 3-point land, which has to make people in Los Angeles feel really good. Definitely happy to have him back, especially in his his new how he looks at the life. He's not a juvenile anymore. The way the Nuggets always serve as like a measuring stick for like the top of the West is that fair to say? The Pelicans yeah. always serve as a measuring stick for the middle of the West. So it does feel good. It really does. CJ McCollum, like I Brandon Ingram, like I like beating the Pelicans. I do. As you should, Brandon Ingram, very good player. All the things that you just mentioned. Uh, but the Lakers are also in a spot where they don't have a lot of margin for error. Like, I think I heard Jeff Van Gundy say, this is kind of a must-win game for the Lakers. Like, you've got to start showing returns early. LeBron James was back out in the court for the first time since his record-breaking performance against Oklahoma City. And to see it gel that quickly and to get some production from three they shot like 77 percent in the first quarter it wasn't sustainable but it was good to see all right lebron and ad healthy yeah you have in theory added some guys who are better shooters the russell westbrook problem that you've had for so long is no longer a thing and so again another team that can go into all-star weekend i think at least with a glimmer of hope now based on what we saw in a limited sample size from this new crop of players yeah i as much as i hated their lack of mobility in the trade deadline last year this roster makes a lot more sense it just the russell westbrook thing never made sense it didn't make sense at the beginning when it happened and at no point along the way did you really get the version russ can be a great guy off the course he can mean a lot to the city it can be all of those things and basketball wise it can always have been a bit of a head scratcher so Uh, We'll get to more on All-Star Weekend tomorrow. We got something uh, planned for you guys on Friday that we're looking forward to. But Brandon, for me and you, our national nightmare is now over. I am so happy we're not going to have to talk about Notre Dame's search for an offensive coordinator anymore as Notre Dame is expected to hire uh, and promote from within current tight end coach Jared Parker to be the new offensive coordinator. We know we have lived through what just happened with you know, Notre Dame bringing in Colin Klein from Kansas State and him not, you know, end up taking the job. Notre Dame 
having Andy Ludwig at a hockey game, the offensive coordinator of Utah, and then apparently some financial discrepancy that ultimately ended with Notre Dame not landing the coordinator they thought they were going to get. And so it's a difficult spot now, Brandon. This was an embarrassing sequence for Notre Dame. There's no way to really sugarcoat that. We are used to Notre Dame being talked about as somewhat limited because of the academic restrictions Mm -hmm. at times on the program and that being a difference in recruiting and certain things. But in an era where you brought Marcus Freeman and you promoted a young coach to this spot with the hope that, hey, that energy, the attack on recruiting that we've seen from him will be able to upgrade some of that. The thing that we haven't often had to reckon with, at least as publicly in this way, was not having your money right to go and do that. And that's not the perception that you want out there. Look at what happened at Florida in a very different standpoint, but somewhat similar with Jaden Rashada, the quarterback where it's not like you lost a high-profile prospect to just decommitting, but after all the reporting that we saw there, you lost a high-profile prospect because your collectives didn't have their money right. And so because of that, it now puts Jared Parker in a tough spot where people are going to look at this and say, well, you went and you had to make this hire quickly after because of what you had done, when in all actuality, I think he could do a very good job. Like I covered Jared Parker when he was the offensive coordinator at West Virginia in 2021. I had like three West Virginia games that year. And we always got to meet with the coaches, the O coordinator, D coordinator, and the head coach. And I always came away from those meetings with Jared Parker impressed. I enjoy the way he thought about football, the way he, you know, the way he saw the game, even if, as we know, because Neil Brown was an offensive guy, he wasn't always calling the plays directly. So that's going to be something there. But with those teams at West Virginia, the biggest deficiencies were they couldn't block people on the perimeter and their quarterback situation was not where it needed to be. You're walking into an offense that has two tackles that are going to play in the NFL and a quarterback in Sam Hartman that's got 111 career touchdown passes. So I think he's got a shot in conjunction with the other hires they've made. O-line coach is still the last piece that's got to fall into place, but it's all just clouded by the way that this was handled for Notre Dame. My hope is that it's a wake-up call. My hope is that now Notre Dame saw, all right, this is publicly embarrassing for the program to be talked about in this way. We have got to make sure that we have got our plan together better next time because if you weren't going to be in a position to do those things financially, you can't let it get to the point where the guy's on campus in public like that. And maybe there's things that I don't know about this process. Maybe there's something I've missed. But again, perception is reality to the outside world. And so you've got to guard against that. And to have Marcus Freeman, who's done a great job there, to have Jack Swarbrick, who's one of the savviest people in college football, you do not expect things like this to happen. And I don't expect things, or at least I hope, things will now get back to business as usual around there so they can continue to capitalize on all the momentum they had coming off last season. Yes, but it just feels like that is a a taller hill to climb at this point. It feels like Notre Dame has showed their hand that they can't afford their first option. And I don't like the optics of that, and I don't like the reality that now Garrett feels like a second option. Well, yeah, listen, and that's the thing is it feels that way because of how it happened. Notre Dame is not the only team that went shopping for a coordinator this offseason that did not hire their first choice. 
Like for as sure. much as we love sure. Tommy Reese, he wasn't the first coordinator interviewed by Alabama this offseason. Yeah, or Notre Dame probably when it, when when Marcus Freeman was coming back. Well, actually, he was. But yeah. well, yeah, you say, but you know, but again, like it's all about the process and how you get it there. And it just seemed like Notre Dame wasn't on the same page in this process and they've got to get that rectified going forward. And now there's no margin for error too, because at the earliest sign of things not going well, people are going to go back to this. So now you're in a position where you got to hit the round running. You got to have success early. And my hope is that because Parker was on the staff last year and because the staff was really close, like getting to be around this team and getting to be inside the building very young staff outside of the now uh, retired coach he stand and Al Golden on the defensive side. Really young, really close, and just in general, there's good energy in there. And there's a lot to be said for having someone around who already understands the way things go in that building. It was part of the appeal of Marcus Freeman. And with all the added talent and important positions, most specifically quarterback, they're in a really good position to go out there and have the kind of success that can hopefully make this an afterthought. Okay, from a offensive person standpoint, just where you come from, what it is a what is it about tight ends coaches that leads itself so well to being offensive coordinator? Yeah, so and, and it's interesting with Parker too. He coached wide receivers also, which if you're Notre Dame, having someone with the background at West Virginia who worked specifically with the wide receivers and also did at Penn State at a prior stop. All of that, you know, we need that young position group to develop. So having someone who sees the lens through that way. But for tight ends coaches, you also work in both worlds, right? You're going and you're doing seven-on-seven seven with the receivers and quarterbacks. You're coming down and doing blocking drills with the offensive line. Yeah, you're required to know a lot about the offense in that position. And so that might be a way to surmise that there. Yeah, I've always I've always thought they may have a little bit more time on their hands because it's, it's just a smaller room. Like unlike that the is also true. Like you know, it's one of the smaller rooms in a in a uh, football staff. So, no, it's absolutely true. But again, having someone in that role where it's not his first time being an offensive coordinator, maybe being day in and day out play caller, but knows how to organize and address a room, knows all of those things. So it's not someone learning green on the job. And so I hope. Jared gets a chance to go out there and be judged on what he does and not with all of this in the background that had absolutely nothing to do with him. Right. Um, with that in mind, Brandon, we are going to celebrate not having to talk about that again. We are going to look forward to spring football starting in about a month and getting guys on the field and getting Sam Hartman in his nice new jersey and getting to watch all of that and hopefully pushing all of these memories back into the distance. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to have a conversation with Yahoo Sports' very own Charles McDonald next. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know? about Jägermeister. I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. 
And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, long overdue. Glad we're finally making it happen. Charles McDonald covering the NFL over at Yahoo Sports. We got together during Super Bowl week. You reminded me I hadn't had you on the pod yet, so we managed to right the wrong about less than one week out. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I was really happy that we got to turn internet friends into real life friends because that's one thing that I had on my to-do list for the Super Bowl. I was like, I talked to Mike way too much to not actually see him in person. So I was glad we got to rectify that. It was a fun week. That was my first Super Bowl. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm already looking forward to the next year in Vegas, which should be a whole lot of fun. Oh man, I didn't know that was your first Super Bowl. So what was the big oh, yeah. takeaway here, man? How uh, how'd the week go for you? Oh, it was it was amazing. I mean, the coolest part to me was like just getting to meet all these people that I had like mostly had like internet or text relationships with, like Billy Gill and Stu Gotts. That was uh, a great moment. We got to record like a little intro to uh, one of the God Bless Football episodes. Uh, just being on Radio Row in general was a little overwhelming, but at the end of the day, like you get to see all your friends, you get to go party a lot with with all your friends. Uh, a lot of partying. <laughs> that 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 was probably one thing that I'll, if I could do again, I'll be more proactive about getting my names on lists, like going into the week, so I'm not scrambling by like Thursday or Friday trying to find moves. But wow, it was it was a lot. It was fun. That's the one thing I can say about Super Bowl week. So. The first Super Bowl I went to like cover doing this job or something similar to this job was the Houston Super Bowl. So I've been to six or seven now, and I still have not figured out the party scene. And <laughs> for people that haven't gone, it's pretty much every night starting on Tuesday or Wednesday. Some oh, yeah. brand or combination of brands or famous people are throwing parties. Like you and I ended up getting together at like a Michelob Ultra Netflix party that was put on by like Serena Williams and Neka Gwumake and a bunch of these studs. DJ that- Colin, I think, was a part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that's the, that's every night of the week. And I have never gotten better at finding my way onto those lists. I am always scrambling during the week, like burning the, <laughs> the burning, the candle at both ends during Super Bowl week is what leaves me on Sunday and Monday morning sounding like Wright Thompson. Oh, dude, when I got back, I felt like I had 
swallow a pound of sand. Like it was, it was bad uh, because dude, it's so easy. I, I, I really think like one of the coolest things about Super Bowl week, like from a, a media perspective, and also coming out of like, I shouldn't say like totally coming out of COVID, but you know we've kind of given up that fight. So coming out of COVID, uh, like being able to see people for the first time in years too. Like I hadn't seen Mina since before pre-COVID happened and a whole bunch of other people. So it was just fun getting together. And then, you know, the next thing you know, oh, I'm done working today. It's four o'clock. Hey, anyone text you? Anyone want to get some beers? Want to go get some lunch? And it's every day like that. So I definitely put on some pounds at the scene at the Super Bowl, but uh, it's the off season, so now we can work to rectify that a little bit. Exactly. The grind The grind starts now. Uh, I have gone nowhere near a scale and won't. But speaking of that, I think one of my highlights of Super Bowl week was your interaction with Andy Reid. Have you come down off of the high <laughs> of being able to revisit mac and cheese recipes with Andy Reid on opening night? Uh, I, I absolutely have not. Uh, and it's funny, though, because that was like a, a – a huge full circle moment for me because when I like I, for people who don't know, I got a mac and cheese recipe from Andy Reid when I, I was at the combine in like 2018. I was on my way home and I'd been on the road for two weeks because I was speaking at Sloan the week before that. And when I got off to the combine, my flight back to Baltimore was delayed. So I just kind of had like a little hissy fit and I Walks across, walks around the airport to blow off some steam, and when I came back to my bags at my gate, like the entire Chiefs coaching staff was sitting there. This is like five years ago, uh, and I was also freelancing at this time too, so I didn't have a full time job yet. And I don't know somehow, me and one of the defensive quality control coaches, we started talking about our favorite Thanksgiving dishes. I have no idea how we started getting on that. Um, I think he was like Southern, and my family's Southern too, so we started talking about Southern cooking, and then Andy was sitting across the aisle from us and he perks up. He goes, you guys talking Thanksgiving dishes? Like, uh, yeah, we are. Uh, and I was like, well, I was like, well, what's your favorite? He's like, I got a mean mac and cheese recipe. I was like, okay. Well, it's like, I, I believe you. I was like, but I would like to see it at the same time. He was like, oh, uh, yeah, I can, like, I can show it to you. I was like, well, how are you going to show it to me? He's like, oh, just give me your phone number. I'll text it over to you. So, <laughs> so I gave him a phone number. He, uh, he texted me like this mac and cheese recipe, right? And he said, it's a seven cheese mac and cheese recipe, but he sent me six cheeses and he said that five should be good. So I don't really know, like it's a five to seven mac and cheese <laughs> recipe. And then I asked him if I could post it on the internet. He said he didn't care. So, uh, so I posted it and then went viral. And I used that story to get my first job with SB Nation. Like in wow. all the job interviews that I had, I was like, you know, they were basically like, how can you relate to coaches? Like if you go out and reporting and stuff like that, I was like, well, I have this story for you. Actually, I'll show you how good I am at that real quick. Uh, and then five years later, here I am working for Yahoo. Andy's about to go, you know, uh, go about to go coach his second Super Bowl. And it was just a really full circle moment for me. And I, I guess kind of for him, too, because he thought it was funny. Uh, and he said I look good, which is why my Twitter name is Charles. You look good. Dash Andy Reid McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Blessed by Andy Reid on Monday yeah. of Super Bowl week. That's incredible. I had no idea that was actually like something that ended up helping you out career wise. It is amazing oh, yeah. the power. Did you ever make the mac and cheese? Yes, I did. It's uh, I've only made it one time because I was like twenty four. 
maybe when I got it and I was pretty broke. So it, it's for me, it was one of those things that I could only afford to make one time, but uh, it's really good. Now that uh, I'm doing a, a much better in my career, I should probably try to do it again. But I remember uh, after I got the job at SB Nation, I texted Andy back and I was like, hey, I just wanted to say thank you. Like I used this mac and cheese recipe, the, the stories to kind of lock my first time uh, job in. And he texts me back in all caps, let's eat with like five exclamation points. <laughs> so like literally every, anytime like we have, like we happen to shoot each other a text, like we're usually talking about food, which is pretty funny. It's incredibly <laughs> on brand. It's you know what they say, don't meet your heroes. Andy Reed might be the <laughs> exception, man. <laughs> he might be the exception. He's such a, he's such a nice guy. So I was really happy to, to, to reconnect and I uh, get some brownie points. I work out of it too. <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely doesn't hurt um yeah. and then you spur him on to a super bowl win like game wise looking back on the weekend was there any big takeaway from you from this matchup uh well i i i think for me like the biggest takeaway is uh probably what jalen hurts did because i'm at the point like where i expect mahomes to do what he did like against any defense any anyone in general i mean like the 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 home stuff is so interesting to me because he this is a year where he kind of solidified himself in that you know peyton manning you know like class of quarterback where it's like as long as i'm on the team we can figure something out right like we can figure out a point where uh we can at least go to the afc championship game because that's what we've done every single year but like losing tyree kill and it, they didn't have any offensive drop off whatsoever. Like they were still on an efficiency base, like the best offense in the league, one of the best offenses in the past like ten seasons of football. Um, and it's not like they have a super overwhelming su- supporting cast. Like it's Travis Kelsey is obviously an elite guy, first ballot Hall of Famer type of guy. But outside of that, there's a lot of room to grow, especially yeah. at the wide receiver spot. And um, you know, they even have some decisions to make at like left tackle, what they do in Orlando Brown this year. So. Uh, he kind of put himself in the, in this spot this season where I'm just like, okay, anytime that he's on the field, I'm expecting 30 points. I don't care what defense they're playing. That's what it's got to be. But Jalen Hurts, like this has been, it, it, he, I, I guess I would say he's had a much more traditional path towards, towards stardom, even, even as his, his path has had some unorthodox things uh, happen to him. But, you know, it's like the rookie struggles where you don't know how this is going to quite look. Then, you know, you get a full year under your belt and they've added some pieces around you like A.J. Brown and you, you start to figure it out. But even with the the supporting cast, like you still got Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the field. It only took him it only took Mahomes like 50 plays to score 38 points in that game because he didn't have the ball that yeah. much. And he still uh, diced him up. But I think for for Jalen Hurts to put on performance where he can just kind of keep at, keep him at bay, because that's the best he can do with Mahomes throughout the course of the game. <laughs> Keep him at bay and hope that you get the ball last. And unfortunately, things didn't work out for them in that regard with the penalty. But I, I, I thought it was just a, a, a really crazy performance, especially when you think about he was he, Jalen Hurts was the only piece of the Eagles' run game that was working. Everyone else got shut down. Uh, Miles Miles Sanders didn't do much. Kenneth Gainwell didn't do much. But here's Hurts with seventy yards, three touchdowns, and obviously he was throwing the ball over the place. So I think for him to have that performance where he was like. I'm here and you guys are going to pay me $50 million a year very, very soon. Uh, that was really cool to, to see him pull that off. 
Yeah, I feel like we didn't talk a lot about the Jalen Hurts contract in the lead-up the way that we did for like Daniel Jones in New York, where towards the end of the season, we started having a lot of those contract conversations. Their season was obviously going to end a lot sooner than the Eagles based on what we saw, but it was that same sort of improvement, the difference just being, one, Hurts performed markedly better in a number of categories and also had the cast around that was going to be Super Bowl capable. But now you're right, you're talking about, I mean, for the Eagles, I don't really think you have much of a choice at this point, right? You're going to pay him the top-end market value for a quarterback because not only did he improve steadily along the way, but sort of Joe Flacco's style had his best game when it mattered the most in the biggest game. You can't put what happened as far as a loss on Jalen Hurts, and so now he gets to reap the benefit on the other side. Yeah, and I think an important part with the Jalen Hurts contract stuff is he was a second-round pick. There's no fifth-year option. Uh, Yep. This upcoming season is is the last year of his rookie deal. So we're here at the point where, like, if, if I'm Jalen's agent, and I'm sure Nicole is great, she's on top of all this stuff. I'm calling them today, like, hey, we we got we got 12 months to figure this out because I obviously you don't want to end up on a point where you're just tagging him over and over again. Uh, it, it's got to be a decision where you know we're 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 gonna have to give him a long-term contract because that's what his play as of late has demanded so uh it, uh, from a financial aspect this is a great time to play a, a game that Jalen did because now like he walks into this offseason with leverage like um I I don't think that Jalen Harris is the type of guy that would hold out but if he wants to he he certainly has that power to do that um like it, 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 it it's it's cool to me to see the uh the timing on things and how they happen for people and this Jalen Hurts game at this moment in time compared with like the the ascension up it's gonna it's gonna get him a lot of money yeah we and we I mean we see how much that ends up affecting a lot of these conversations to be able to lead your team this far Obviously, wins aren't a quarterback stat, but for a lot of people, the comfort level, especially selling to a fan base of, hey, we're going to pay this guy, like we see that friction popping up in the Lamar Jackson conversation constantly, where this guy wins an MVP very young in his career, has been the driving force behind an offense that's constantly been banged up and not evolved around him, but so many people just throw all of the the issues of that team making deep postseason runs at his feet and try and use it as a reason not to basically put the Ravens where they're at right now in the position with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's, the Lamar stuff is dumb. I don't. I don't know. I like to me, it's just. Oh, I you, agree. Have you, but I know. I know you agree. But like, like the the people who who are like detractors against him, like, do you just can you just watch the Ravens play with him and without him? I I, I know the the Tyler Huntley stuff is it's a cool story. To, for him to get to a Pro Bowl off playing six games, whether you know that was actually deserved or not, is is a whole other thing. But uh, it, it, the offense it falls off a cliff when he's not there. Uh, and and to me, like that that sucks. Like watching that happen because it reminds me of where Cam Newton was at like the prime of his career with the Panthers, where it's like, okay, well we have this guy who can carry the whole offense for us. Like he can do it. We can if we if we ask him to, he can go figure out a season where he's productive throwing deep balls to tag in the whole year. But is that really how we want to live? Like, is this really how we want to do things? And yeah. I, I understand that there's a, an allocation of resources that has to happen. You know, getting a Roquan Smith locked down in a long term deal is obviously very good for your football team. 
um, just based on on how well their defense played after he had joined them. But uh, they 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 rely too much on Lamar Jackson to me at least to to end up in a situation like this because it's very obvious that he's like the driving force of the franchise, the face of the franchise, and. At some point, you're just you're gonna have to 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 step a little bit further in his direction, I think, because what you can't have is uh, him not want to show up and not want to be around anymore. Well, and you brought up absolutely what Roquan Smith did. And you talked to guys on that team, like as soon as he came, instant difference maker. Everybody felt that on that defense. And that, to me, is all the more reason why you'd want to make sure that this Lamar Jackson situation is sound, because if you decide to turn this over, now you're wandering back out into uncertainty. Like, you can talk about trying to go and get a young guy in a rookie deal so you can afford stuff at other positions, or you can talk about trying to go get one of these veteran free agents out there, but... I don't understand why you'd be doing that against the value of Lamar Jackson, but any of it that involves moving on from him means you start messing up the timeline. Like you've got a defense that towards the end of the season was one that gave Joe Burrow hell at the end of the year. No one wanted to really see. And so you'd really be working against the progress that you made on that side of the ball because Roquan Smith can keep raising the floor, but your Super Bowl ceiling's wholly dependent on quarterback now. Right. Yeah. And that defense is so good that, if Tyler Huntley doesn't have like the 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 sin of oh. all football coaches by trying to reach out three yards away from the goal line, then they might have beat the Bengals like in that game. Um, but I, y- y- like you said, they they just depend too much on him. They depend too much on him to let him go, and and they have a team that's ready to win now. So you know, I I just, I just don't buy this stuff that oh like the. Lamar isn't good enough to win in the playoffs, whatever. Like he's won a playoff game. He, as a rookie, he had, you know, or not a rookie, but his, uh, his second year when he won the MVP, that Titans game, he has 500 yards in that game still. It just, they just couldn't convert on like some weird fourth and one. So, you know, he's not a guy where I see the playoffs being so overwhelming to them. It's just, it's a one game sample size. And sometimes you lose, sometimes you win, unless you're Patrick Mahomes and then you pretty much always win. (laughs) <laughs> well, and I, th- I mean, honestly, that's kind of the thing that ends up sort of being like what Alabama is in college football, where it messes up the math for everybody else on what you think. Like, the Chiefs paid Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars, and it looks like a bargain right now. And oh, even yeah. when he signed yeah. that deal, it was considered pretty team friendly for the amount. But we know they're going to be able to play with that, and he's going to end up getting his. But it, it does bring up the thing I also hear so much with Lamar Jackson is well, the most valuable thing you can have is a rookie contract and how much that limits the rest of you. If you believe in Eric DaCosta and this front office so much, that's when they've got to go out there and start putting in the work. Like Once you pay the quarterback, now it's on y'all. And bringing Todd Munkin in here to only potentially wave goodbye to Lamar Jackson when we've begged for something like this for years would feel purely spiteful towards especially us in sports media that have supported him. Yeah, yeah, and the, the the rookie quarterback thing is. I feel like we're almost we're, we're almost starting to take this the wrong way to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, of course, having Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes getting that level of production on a rookie contract is great, but it, it's still more important to have the quarterback. Like at the end of the right. day, like. <laughs> right, right, yeah. like like what? What are we gonna do? Start over just because we have to pay the guy now? Like, like I, I feel like that's where some people are starting to lose the, 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 the get lost in the sauce with the quarterback stuff. It's like, okay, 
obviously it's great to have you know top 10 production on bottom 10 like contract value but you 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 still need to pay these guys like when it's time so uh like the idea that the Ravens or the Eagles, I saw it posturized that the Eagles should still pick quarterback in the first round. I'm like, what the hell are we talking about here? Because, you know, you like we know, like we've played football before. There's there's a finite amount of reps that a quarterback can get in a practice. So if you're going to tell me that, you know, we're going to have Jalen Hurts coming off of that game that he just played, we're going to draft another quarterback in the first round with the pick that the Saints gave us. And we're going to have those guys split reps in training camp and in practice throughout the season. Like who's getting better off of that scenario? It's just, it's not, it's not realistic. So I, yeah, you got to have the quarterback talent. You know, I I don't really even know what the Ravens could do to even pivot away from Lamar Jackson because what they've built is so specific to like his skill set, and it's a great skill set to have. So might as well keep building with it. Pay the man. Let's go. Exactly. I mean, they've already messed up by waiting this long to do it and letting so many other contracts balloon in the meantime. But at some point, it's got to happen. I'm hopeful it does. I want to see this marriage keep going. But I don't know for you seeing all the mockups of him in Atlanta Falcons jersey has to feel somewhat good. That's what that's what uh, that's what I need. Like if this does deteriorate, I will. I don't care. I will throw all the first-round picks that the CBA allows. I think it's three first-round picks into the future. Plus, anyone that's like not named Grady Jarrett, Kyle Pitts, or Drake London. After that, go for it. I got or, or Chris Lindstrom, too, because we need Chris to, to protect Lamar. But outside of that, dude, three draft picks, and then we could talk about basically any player that's not you know one of their, their super core guys. Yeah, Falcons, pick up the phone, man. Let us have fun right now because picturing him in that Arthur Smith offense we saw last year is borderline pornographic, and I'm looking yeah. forward uh, to the potential of it there. Dude, if Mariota can win a, a, a NFC Offensive Player of the Week against the damn 49ers, think about what Lamar Jackson could do. Oh, I'm my God. Saying. Hey, listen, speaking into existence, King. Um, speaking of uh, coaching hires, we finally filled all the jobs that were vacant right now in the NFL. Shane Steichen to the Colts, D'Amico Ryans to the Texans, Frank Reich in Carolina, Jonathan Gannon in the Cardinals was the last one, and then obviously Sean Payton to the Broncos. Uh, which of those, I mean, I feel like most of us, everyone looking at it was like D'Amico Ryans was going to be a home run for whoever got him there. Houston getting him was great. But is that the one that stood out to you? Was there another hire that you liked? Um, That's definitely the hire I like the most. Uh, and I, I, I like this so much that I, I feel this way about it. Even if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, it's it's really hard to fault the process that the Texans took here. Uh because it's been a disastrous and like that's when it kindly of, like the past three or four years it's been pretty pretty terrible over there um between you know the deshaun watson stuff all of the losing uh three head coaches in three years you kind of needed to just start looking like a reputable football program again and i think for the texans they kind of had like uh, their knight in shining armor just happened to be available this year it's a former player who was beloved in the city of Houston, was a productive player, one of the best linebackers of his era. I mean, not not like Ray Lewis or, or Patrick Willis, but like a tier below that, probably, when you're just looking at how good they were, uh, how good D'Amico was. And he's like objectively qualified to be the head coach of this team. Uh, and also, 
he's someone that can help them mend relationships with, you know, players that don't want to be around anymore. Like getting Andre Johnson to come back for the introductory press conference is kind of a big deal uh, based on how uh, that relationship has gone over the past few years. So uh, that's that's still the one that that stands out the most. I also I, I do like the uh, the the Steichen hire by the Colts, too, just because. Yeah, I, I think anytime you can you can get someone who has uh, had to think outside the box as far as, you know, offensive construction is going, because Jalen Hurts is a pretty unique quarterback. Like, I, I think he's kind of a one-on-one uh, guy. There aren't really too many players that compare to him. Uh, I, I think that that's uh, pretty helpful, too. But there is, it, there is, like, a little bit of funniness with the Colts hire because you fired Frank Reich to hire, like, three spots down on his tree because they the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni and then Sirianni has Steichen and then Steichen goes back and takes the Colts job. It's uh, it, there's a it, there's a lot of overlap going on there. I, but, you know, I, I said the script and D'Amico. I said the script writers got lazy because the last time the oh, Colts yeah. needed a head coach, they hired a former Eagles offensive coordinator coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. And so when they got to run it back now, they just go for the same thing, except this time the guy didn't win it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's exciting to think about what happens there. That's another one process wise. After everything they had gone through, the Jeff Saturday hire after the Frank Reich all of the conversation about what a wide net they had cast and the fact that Jim Irsay is leading the charge, who we all know how wild that can go. This actually uh, yeah. seems like a defensible process if you're a Colts fan saying, all right, they at least looked at team that was really successful for the reasons that you mentioned. Let's try and draft off some of that, which isn't going to be perfect. None of these hires are, you know, are ever perfect or easy to kind of look into the future and think how they're going to do, but you can defend that process as well. Yeah. Uh, look, I, the the Colts say this something made sense, which is it, it wasn't a given based on what we've seen over the past five or six months. Uh, so look, I, I think you got a qualified candidate, and uh, it seems like Jim Irsay has already tipped their hand that they're going to be taking a quarterback at the top of the draft um, because he can't shut his mouth right now. Yeah. <laughs> which which quarterback that ends up being is going to be funny, but. Uh, yeah, I think I think the Colts they made a good move with this. We'll 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 see how the other ones work out. From an entertainment standpoint, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, like that 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 is gold right there. Like I can't imagine two guys who like publicly present themselves in different manners. Uh, I mean, even the the I don't know if you saw, but like the press conference that Sean had when he got hired, uh, where he was like, yeah, I don't know about this whole business of Russell Wilson having his own quarterback trainer in the building, but uh, that's not how we do things when, when I'm in charge. Uh, so I'm, it got I'm real Parcelsian in that room <laughs> oh, in that yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I'll see. It might be for the best for Russell because what's been work, what, what's been happening over the past two seasons clearly is not the best way for, for him to go about his business because it hasn't translated to the field. But uh I, I find it hard to believe that he's just totally cooked, so I'm interested to see how that one works out for him. It's sort of the opposite of what we talked about with Jalen, where he peaked at the right time and has all this leverage. If you're Russ, I understand financially they can't tell you a damn thing. That's why we're in this whole situation. But as far as 
coming in and maybe having to give back a little bit of this control right now, especially with someone like Sean Payton. Like that's why Denver had to move heaven and earth for him because you needed the reputation and he needed someone that was going to walk in and kind of command the rest of that respect who could like not every coach could walk in and do what he did in that press conference and have it land credibly in a way that's actually going to, I hope, get Russ to buy in because if he does, there could be something pretty special here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Falcons fan, and I was just happy to see that Sean. There was no possibility that Sean is going to be back coaching the Saints. That was that was just, <laughs> dude. You know, a rivalry is deep when like the head coach makes you sick. Like that. That's that's where I have been with Sean Payton. So I'm glad that I can watch this from afar with no rooting interest because I I, I don't know like how many NFL coaches are like as publicly interesting as Sean Payton. Like there's a lot of guys who get rowdy and talk shit behind the scenes, but uh Sean is kind of one of these guys that be like, I'll tell you to your face right here how I'm feeling about X, Y, and Z. And I love oh. I, I, it's going to be so interesting to watch because now he's got a little bit of that TV on him too, which is always interesting watching what guys internalize from that. <laughs> and I saw the other day, I don't know if it'll end up being the higher. I doubt it will, but he did interview Rex Ryan for his D coordinator spot yeah. out there, which you want to talk about coaches that will talk their shit. I remember <laughs> Rex's brother, Rob was the DC when I was in uh, training camp with the Saints in 2015, and we were at the Greenbrier in West Virginia, and they had in the conference hall area like dividers set up that were supposed to be the walls between meeting rooms, and the O-line meeting room was one wall over from the defensive meeting room that Rob was leading, and there were days where we would all just be sitting there with the tape going, just listen to him motherfuck them up and down, clear as day through the walls. So that, that family's definitely built to talk the talk, even if Rex doesn't have the flowing locks that Rob had. It was it was funny uh, at, at Radio Row. My my coworker Charles Robinson interviewed Sean Payton, and after Sean was done, he had like he had like a little press conference. It was in between our set and the DraftKings set. Um, and did you hear that? Was that a drone? I don't know. I think it's a it's a drill or something. Um, <laughs> but I. Somebody looked at Sean Payton and they looked at me and they're like, he looks rich as hell right now. He looks so rich. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like you know, Sean, Sean's having a good time with this stuff. So I'm uh, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see where it goes with him in Denver because he's a good coach, but get away from my team. Yeah, I don't. I think you're going to have a lot better time uh, this year overall, provided they figure out the quarterback spot. Because when you look around at all the teams that we just mentioned, too, the Texans are going to go quarterback diving this offseason, I think, pretty clearly. The Colts seem to have already tipped their hand. The Cardinals have Kyler. The Broncos have Russ. And then the Panthers at this point, I heard someone utter it the other day, and now it feels like destiny. Like, I, I'd be curious for you. We're getting ready to embark on a very, I think, interesting draft season as far as the quarterbacks that we're going to talk about because the strengths and limitations of each are clear and all very different. We've got a ton of talent and a ton of different types. For the Panthers, Derek Carr just got released the other day. If the game of quarterback musical chairs goes the way most people are looking, Carolina and Derek Carr seem like an option that could make somewhat a sense if you want to go the bridge route for them. Like, as you look at the Panthers and the roster that they've got now, especially defensively, do you think they'd be more likely to go young or go over a veteran like Carr? Um, I think they'd be. Is both the wrong answer? Is both I don't the wrong think so. Here? Because if I'm the Panthers, 
I'm I'm definitely trying to get a, an established guy on maybe like a one or two year deal. Like if I can get Derek Carr or Jimmy G come hold down the fort for two years and we can reevaluate things, that sounds like a, a safe option to me. But there's a there's a super super dice roll at quarterback in the draft this year in Anthony Richardson in Florida. Um, and if I'm dude, if I'm Frank Wright, outside of this Matt Ryan stuff, which did not go well, obviously. He hasn't really missed on like quarterback grooming and helping guys like realize their potential in a while. Cause even if you look back at that season that Phil Rivers had, um, it was pretty good that the the one that Phil oh, yeah. Rivers had in Indianapolis and then uh you know, Jacoby Brissett uh was you know serviceable for them until he had to be coming back up and Carson Wentz that season. I, I know it, it didn't always look clean, but by the end of it, he threw like 27 touchdowns and seven picks. So I, I think that his his track record, I should say, as a, a, a quarterback developer is pretty proven. So why would I not take the guy who runs 4-4 and can throw it over the mountains? And you say, hey, sit behind Derek Carr, Jimmy G for a year or two, and then we will try to unleash you to the world and burn down the rest of the NFL. It really – and for – Anthony Richardson, the talents under like I called their game against Utah at the beginning of last season in college, and down in the corner of that end zone, there was about nine NFL scouts just all fixated on this dude. He's the most physically impressive quarterback I've seen in person. Like just as far as the sheer tools, his size, it it, it was, and that was the game where everyone thought he was going to win the Heisman after he has the spin pass. They take down Utah at home, all those good things. But you look in the last couple of years, like he's pretty much a blank slate as far as a player. You go from Dan Mullen's offense where he was splitting time with Emory Jones and it never really seemed like was going to be the Mullins type passer. I don't know if he wanted him to fit him to fit him in the offense the way he needed. And then you go to last year where everything's so new. He's in year one. You're really getting as an NFL coach. The thing that I think most of these guys dream of is otherworldly tools and the ability for me to go out here and mold you. So him and Carolina also just uniform wise would be objectively one of the coolest options for him. Oh yeah, maybe he can get back into that Cam Newton jersey, but oh. if anyone will let him hold it. But man, I, I I think for him and and where the Panthers are, it makes a whole lot of sense. And honestly, if I'm Frank Reich, the, the year that I want to take a dice roll on quarterback is the first year, right? Let, let's take a first. Let's take let's try to this Anthony Richardson thing. If it doesn't work, like, give me give me one more shot, <laughs> one more shot. Two years yep. down the road. Um, or if it goes really poorly and we're back at the top of the draft, then we can go get Drake May or Caleb Williams next year. But um, I, I do think that that would kind of be a worthwhile risk for the Panthers and Frank Reich for where they are right now. It'd be interesting to watch Jimmy Garoppolo as that bridge guy there. Interesting, but definitely dangerous because we have seen what happened the last time he was supposed to be the bridge out in San Francisco, man. People just liked having him around. The I think Bill Barnwell said, if the universe bends to make certain things happen, the universe seemed to bend to make Jimmy Garoppolo stay in San Francisco somehow. So weird, weird energy there, but uh, we'll see how it turns out potentially. Uh, for him on the open market this offseason. Charles, man, we appreciate you uh, taking the time around here. I'm glad we finally got to make this happen. I'm glad I got to meet you and realize that you're not a cartoon the way I always see in your avatar, man. <laughs> yeah, people are like, wait, you're not like ugly behind there. I'm like, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm a normal dude. I I just don't take Twitter very seriously, and I never will. Smart decision. <laughs> Everybody, uh, follow him on Twitter where he doesn't take it too seriously. At Four Verts, check him out covering the NFL over at Yahoo Sports. Charles, appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me on. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. All right, let's finish it off. Brandon, much like my friend D'Angelo Russell, who also has a digital clock that says now tattooed on his body, which thus prompts me to ask, do you know what time it is? Because I sure as hell don't. It's always now. That that is the time. The time is now. Um, I do, Mike. And I don't know if you're going to be ready for this, but maybe I should say I'm sorry. It's like I missed the shot. It's like I dropped the ball. Damn, this that end. It's like I'm on stage and I forgot the words. This, this that end. It's like I'm building a house with no roof and no doors. This, that end. It's like trying to propose and I ain't got the ring. Oh, this, that end. But girl, I apologize a million times before I apologized a million more. So here it comes again for all the wrong I've done. Here's one million words, and this is my sorry for 2004. And I ain't gonna mess up no more this year. I'ma take this one chance to make it real clear I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that I'm sorry, and the third, in case I don't tell you August, September, October, November, to the December This, that, this, that, and the third Was it ever established what happened in 2004 that he is so sorry for? Did they do like a VH1 behind the music on what Ruben Stuttered's 2004 was like? Hey, hey, that was an anthem for big guys too. Cause like, if you just need to say sorry, hey, you saw, you know what I'm saying? My bad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm imagining he cheated cause he's coming off of that, uh, that American Idol fame. <laughs> 
Man, his American Idol run was a core memory for me because it was him and Clay Aiken as the final two. Yes. And I remember it was hotly contested. Clay Aiken's Bridge Over Troubled Water was a triumph that season. But like you said, Ruben put on for big guys. Hey, all I know is, Mike, everybody thought America was ready for change when Obama got elected. When Ruben won over Clay, I was like, oh, this country. (laughs) I did not know they were ready for us. The popular vote. Incredible. Uh, If you enjoyed Brandon's performance, uh, please download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell us why you were sorry for what you did in 2004. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, Brandon, let's get to this. Um... We have got the Genesis Invitational uh, going on here this week. And Tiger Woods completed 16 holes at the Genesis Invitational and walked 18 at the Pro-Am on Wednesday morning. It was his first public round of golf since he missed the cut at last year's Open Championship at St. Andrews. A lot of people saying he looked better walking around there. It was cold, too, which, given the state of his body, is an absolute factor, but still looked comfortable singing the club. And he said, I'm not going to be out here if I don't feel like I have a chance to win. And so, for all of us that have seen Tigers moving in business around the world of golf and wondered if we might be sunsetting on some of the play he is here to give us a hit of that good shit even if it's only a few more times mike what is that man eating what is his diet is it the perkins waitresses like the fact that tiger woods can bounce back from that that terrible car accident that he had not too long ago and be walking around golfing and, and, and competing and still being the face of the PGA while they're battling against uh, their evil cousin the, in Live Golf. Like, I just want to take this time as of we've given LeBron his flowers. Like, I would love to just revel in the fact that Tiger Woods is still out here hitting the links. It's incredible. And it kind of does segue into that conversation because he's going to be going out Thursday and Friday in the first two rounds with Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy big time stuff in the same press availability Rory McIlroy is saying the PGA needs to model itself much more like the NBA it's funny because that comes the same week where full swing the Netflix series about the PGA is already a couple of episodes in you've got all of this happening right now and again I don't want to give undue credit to Phil Mickelson who said and claimed that he did all this stuff with lid golf to try and force the PGA to do something That guy's got gambling debt, and he wanted to get paid by people who had deep pockets. But I have enjoyed watching the PGA actually try to be more appealing to a larger audience. Like, this tournament is one of the examples when they said, all right, we're going to increase the purse size at some of these tournaments. We're going to put more money on the line so that more of our good players are incentivized so that we can get JT and Rory and Tiger in a pairing for a tournament that's not a major like this. They're talking about doing tournaments like like Liv did where a more limited field of better players and there's no cuts. So they've acknowledged, and this is led by guys like Rory, guys like Tiger, that we got to do things a little bit differently like right now and highlighting the stars in golf and trying to make them even more like stars in the mainstream feels like a step in the right direction. I know golf purists, we're going to be there no matter what, but for the PGA to acknowledge that, hey, maybe we can do more and that can benefit the players, even if it seems like it's skewed a little bit towards the guys at the top, feels like something. The way the the PGA Tour golfers are benefiting from the change, though, makes it feel like 
that this whole live golf thing was an inside job. Maybe this is my tinfoil hat. I know people talking about getting a segment going on, but like this all just feels like a, a eight man hustle, right? Where you know somebody's faking injured, it's like oh they'll help, and then ambush. Like it just it feels like the long game. And, and when it comes to deep pockets, you don't know how much money golfers got. Like especially the Man, people that put the golf tournaments on. If they're already doing a PGA Netflix series, the next step would then be a PGA heist movie starring all these guys, which 10 out of 10 would 100% watch the getting the band together scene for that. So uh, excited to see where it goes for this weekend and what the PGA slate has now. But again, Tiger Woods on our screens, always a net positive for golf. The next step for them in all of these moves is really preparing yourself for a world where Tiger Woods is no longer on the course. That Mm. is... Mm -mm -mm the thing that golf really I don't want to live in that world (laughs) I don't want your life (laughs) Um, speaking of people trying to hold on to the dream Brandon the XFL and the USFL have announced an interesting wrinkle into their upcoming seasons they're doing what I thought these leagues did really well pre-pandemic which is playing with rules that you want to kind of float up as a trial balloon for the NFL They're ditching the rule where if you fumble out of the back of the end zone, the ball changes possession. They're ditching that touchback rule that NFL fans almost universally hate. Mm. I understand the end zone is treated different in so many ways, but we've always looked at that one and said it's completely unfair for guys who are going and trying to risk getting towards the end zone if it manages to do one of the hardest things and fumble out of the back of the end zone and lose the ball. They are going to, in the USFL and the XFL, just do like it would be a fumble any other area on the field that goes out of bounds and take the ball back to the spot where the player fumbled and then play the next down from there. So I think this is always smart business for side leagues, but I hope it is something that the NFL notices. Hey, this is getting a pretty positive reaction from, don't we like good PR? Maybe we'll think about this. Yeah, I, I do. I know I said it was in the bottom five uh, earlier this week, the, the spring football leagues, but... It's the same thing with the PGA and the Live Golf. Like, as long as there's not a monopoly on things, then the the monopoly can change. <laughs> Help me. Help me, please. Uh, yeah, no, I... I try not to cough that entire time. I could tell the take was getting more and more incoherent <laughs> as this... And both you and I have been battling the same tickle in our throat this entire time. It has been two Ooh. guys playing fast and loose with the mute button baby so uh yeah excited to see this it will be interested to see uh a number of the other rules that they possibly tweak with here the last time out the xfl also played with kickoff formations things in the name of player safety that again wanted to show you could execute properly to the league where all these guys are trying to get back to um brandon let's get to the third The third is where the money reside. Uh, Mm. Forbes put out their list of the top 10 highest paid entertainers for 2022. And the headline, understandably, plays on what most of us like, music. Uh, Taylor Swift and Bad Bunny were the only two musical artists that checked into the top 10. They are at 9 and 10, respectively. I'd imagine Taylor's number is going to be even higher next year after she goes on tour. A Mm. lot of that money coming in for Bad Bunny was because big tour. He also had a bunch of brand partnerships in this last year. Uh, so all of that stuff kind of makes sense for Taylor Swift a lot of the stuff was already actually from music that she would released in years past they would say uh, Forbes said that 
her catalog made up an estimated 70% of her pay, including profits from streaming and album sales. So she just got that from being ballin'. Some of that is new music comes out, people revisit the old music, yada, yada, yada. That's not really the most interesting part of this top 10, Brandon. If I had told you that Genesis and Sting, the band Genesis and the artist Sting, were one and two on this list, how shocked would you have been? Uh, last year's, <laughs> right? Like, like, like the most earning entertainers from last year. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say the the risk is the list is inverted. I think, and it's what we see happening more and more often now. Genesis and Sting were part of bands that sold all of their music. They sold the publishing rights and music to investors and pocketed around $300 million each. So they got the bag that way, which is why you see it. Listen, some things never go out of style, man. I, the Forbes said people like a sure thing and people like the stuff they already know. So it's gotta be an incredibly lucrative time to be a band of a certain age. Yeah. You say that Mike, but could you tell me one sting song? Um, I mean, I could, I, I don't know a bunch of like songs from the police off the top of my head, but it's like, <laughs> I, hey, think hey, it, I just learned a, something. <laughs> yeah. Lead singer of the police. Did you, I, have you seen Zoolander? Absolutely. At the beginning when they're talking to Hansel and he's like, one of my sting is one of my heroes. I don't listen to any of his music, but the fact that he's still making it is incredible. <laughs> exactly my thoughts on it love to see that for you um tyler perry checks in at third on this list because of course he does tyler perry made 175 million dollars in 2022 um he had income streams from a film his bet tv shows and the production backlot that he now owns in atlanta which was the theme and the impetus behind one very famed episode of the fx series atlanta this past season uh, you, you talked about the Super Bowl coming after our pockets because we have purchasing power now. Tyler Player, Tyler Perry is coming after black people's pockets, and we are giving it to him. My favorite part about this list is that there were only two people, or only two, I should say, groups of people. Yes, two people, two spots on this list that were also on the top ten of the list last year. Tyler Perry... Which, again, given what we just described, not all that surprising. Yes. And then South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Like, it is just unbelievable. They uh, got this from a legacy HBO Max deal and the Book of Mormon. Uh, The majority comes from their Paramount deal, which they signed in 2021, guaranteeing the pair $935 million over six years. Like, they are one spot above James L. Brooks and Matt Groening, who made The Simpsons. Like, again, some shit just never goes out of style. And having something that you know that people rock with still seems to be very valuable. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you remember in college when we were fantasizing about having our own show one day. Do you remember we were like, okay, we got to make it like South Park. Like, this is why. Like, this is why. Like, Because the, the shit works and it's real and it's profitable forever. Forever. If you feel like this podcast has gone on forever... You're probably right. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go to wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. 
And also make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.